Hey there, welcome to this episode of the Skiff Meetings Podcast, the podcast for curious professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Nevsh, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Skiff Meetings, and in this episode titled Community Before Events, I have the pleasure of speaking with Luke Bilton, the co-founder of Life Science Networks. In our conversation, we talk about things like how different event technology companies fared coming out of the COVID pandemic, why matchmaking and a well-structured meeting program is the secret sauce for events, the gap in the market for engaging online communities in specific sectors within pharma and life sciences, and why there's never been a better time to launch a company or a community using AI. Lastly, we talk about the role of content in community building. Hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Skiff Meetings podcast. Today, I am delighted to have with me Luke Bilton, the co-founder or just recently co-founded a company called Life Science Networks. Luke, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Luke, I wanted to kind of start with who you are, your journey. Uh, I I know you more from your recent work at Expo Platform, but tell us a little bit about how you got into events, how you found this thing called business events or the events industry or the meetings industry and, and kind of your journey up until now. Yeah, so I've been working in media and events now for the last 20 years or so. Um, started off in magazines back in back in the day, uh, and also I was working across uh, Condé Nast and national magazines and those those kind of titles like uh, Glamour and GQ and Vogue and that sort of thing on on the marketing side. Um, and then when I moved across to future publishing, that's when I really got the digital bug. Um, and so future like future continues to do some really really cool stuff in terms of building um, global digital media brands that are like amazing in terms of their SEO performance, e-commerce, and future was just sort of getting started with that uh, when I, when I was there. And so I sort of got sucked into all of that uh, and decided that's where I wanted to wanted to be on on the digital side of of publishing. Um, and so from there I went on to a company called Chelsea Magazine Company, whereas the digital digital publisher there launched a, launched a bunch of um, bunch of bunch of websites and apps before going across to UBM, and so UBM, which then ultimately got swallowed up and acquired by Informa. So that was my first sort of experience, I guess, of B two B events. I'd, I'd been to shows like CES before, uh, but I had no idea on how they came about, the the, the machinations of it. Um, and so that was my first sort of induction into this weird world of, 
of business events. I was at, at UBM. I was responsible for the digital content, the um, online communities, media brands that that we were publishing. And which shows were you working on, if you don't mind me asking? I think that always brings it home. Yeah, we worked across um, a bunch of a bunch of different verticals. So I was working in the security industry, which was shows, so UK-based shows like IFSEC, for example, IFSEC and, and FireX, uh, health and safety events like um, Safety and Health Practitioner, uh, and then uh, TFM&A, which is a, a technology for marketing show. Uh, we So UBM acquired the content marketing institute at that time so we were sort of like doing the like the uk side of stuff like that and shows like black hats from the london office we sort of incubate those and then also aviation informer's got a really great aviation brand in roots uh, and so that was like world roots roots americas roots asia that for me was was really interesting seeing the power of one-to-one meeting programs it's, it's really incredible that that whole operation of that's sort of like speed speed networking that they do in aviation and then getting me to where what, what i'm doing now with life science networks i also started working across the pharma and healthcare side of um of, of what was going on at, at informer ubm with my current co-founder chris kilby so chris um, Chris and I've worked together for years. Chris was responsible for some of those really big shows like CPHI, Pharma Pack. So some of the, some of the biggest shows in the pharmaceutical space. And so he was working on the event side. I was working on on the digital side. But that's sort of where where Chris and I first connected. And so in between that and and where you are today, you were with Expo Platform, and you wrote a yeah. pretty crazy. You know, pandemic-induced time with Expo Platform, I would imagine that must have been a different adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Expo Platform was was and is is great. We I was there for uh, yeah about two, two and a half years, um, and over that time we grew revenue by three hundred percent. We went from when I started, we were at about thirty-eight employees, and now we're around one hundred and twenty or so. So um, yeah, that 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 was yeah, re- really amazing experience actually working with Tanya and Makita and the team at EP. Um, what what I think that was really interesting for me was was seeing how we went from being an in person platform to being a virtual platform and then back out to in person again and trying to sort of ride that wave and trying to keep really close to our customers and try to figure out what what their needs were and and make sure our product development um stayed aligned with how the market was shifting so it's been a, it's been a really um fascinating roller coaster actually working in event tech over the last over the last couple of years um just to dig talking- on that a little bit further without i don't want you to name any names but do you do you feel that expo platform was one of the platforms or vendors that kind of rode that wave better because there was so many people that went you know deep into virtual and then really struggled to kind of come back out of virtual do you find that expo platform was one of the ones that kind of managed to do that pretty quickly or managed to kind of keep in touch with with what the market was looking for uh well yes um but i think i think the reason for that is that it was it was founded as um, an, in, an in-person technology platform, 
um, with very strong roots in the exhibition industry and, and, and a client base who who we knew we knew what we knew what their needs were so um, and, and the funding model actually I think is important so Expo platform while it has had a bit of angel investment over the over the years it's basically um, bootstrapping to revenue so there aren't VC investors um, who were just putting inordinate amount of pressure on to scale through through the pandemic it was about sort of trying to stay close to our existing customer base and and work work with them stay stay very customer focused so i understand you know why some of those some of those you know companies that really peaked and troughed did it um but but yeah it didn't it didn't didn't need to be that way i don't think if, if you stay if you stay if, if if companies stay close to their customers uh, and and aren't under pressure to overscale then i don't think you have to go through that that same yep. peak and trough as everyone else yeah, it's always interesting to, it, it sounds very obvious almost, maybe obvious isn't the right word, but it sounds pretty clear now. But mm -hmm. through the pandemic, I think it, we would be wrong to say that it was obvious, or at least in my view, you know, nobody really knew what was happening, right? It was a very different environment. And at some points there was, you know, people were saying that virtual events were, were all there ever was going to be, right? So there's this kind of how do you how do you clarify that and and I, I i totally take your point of staying close to customers i think that's that's very important there's a danger i think of the industry going too much back the other way and saying in person is is the only game in town when it, when it absolutely isn't i mean if you look at how customer behavior has changed so much over, over that period yeah virtual events are nowhere near what they were at the peak pandemic but they're still what three three to four times plus what they were before the pandemic and, and people are so much more used now to remote working and connecting connecting online um i, th I think it's a mistake actually to go too too far back back the other way every everything has changed but maybe not quite as much as people thought at that the center of it all yeah that's definitely what what i'm seeing or what i'm sensing um the challenge i think is the people that really peaked um are having a real tough time Kind of resetting right resetting <laughs> expectations of investors of you know leadership and so i think we're still going through this phase of kind of resetting that that's really interesting and and, and you've, we've seen all these mergers and acquisitions and things like that so i think that's all yeah yeah all comes with that so quick uh kind of fun question that i that i do ask mm. a lot of my guests uh but kind of going back a little bit back to your career how do you explain to your family and friends who are in the industry what do you do um with difficulty i think actually on, on the on the digital side of things i think it's easier to explain to kids because various youtubers and stuff like that so when i say oh we've launched a podcast that's a lot more that's a lot more understandable um mm -hmm. when i when i talk about events yeah the only the only experience that many people will have will be i don't know a festival or something or something like that but on the on the digital side, it's it's, it's it can be a bit easier, I think. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. But yeah, it is a question that I ask a lot of guests, and I think most people have this experience that explaining this sort of business events industry is not necessarily that that simple. And like you say, if if you don't have the experience of attending these events, it's it's hard to kind of understand how they come about. <laughs> the thing I always find hard to explain to my partner is why there are so many events for event people. 
that that's the thing which I think she'll she'll never quite understand and just think thinks it's ridiculous. I of course think it's it's perfectly sensible. <laughs> love it, love it. Great. Um, and just to keep on on this kind of events, uh, last question about kind of events. Um, what what do you think makes events really good? Right. You know because we could like you say there's many events in the event industry um but what in your mind makes it really worthwhile to attend an event or what makes events really stand out and i'm talking yeah. about any type of events right it can be a small conference or a big trade show whatever you like so for me there's and actually this is the same for a digital product as well but there's there's sort of three there's three main elements which which are involved around and the weighting of the importance of those depends very much on the industry and and what what those particular um audience needs are but it's it's some combination of content the connections and the sort of the commerce the the, the transactions and it, and it completely it completely depends on on the audience and and what their needs are um the bits that get me particularly excited for business events are around um, the quality of matchmaking. I think, like you know, have, having a real purpose to 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 be there, a very well structured meeting program. It's that it's that that type of bedrock, which I think, particularly as it's getting harder, arguably to to justify taking time out of the office or the home to to go to events. Having having that sort of quality curated meeting program for me is 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 a is a really important thing right now and if you can combine that with having delivering an amazing experience so a, a really sort of different experience what what i don't like personally is wandering into a huge cavernous trade show where i have to just sort of wander around and just figure it out myself. I think that can, particularly the, the, the really large ones, I think that can be quite confusing and quite and quite bewildering. So some some elements of that sort of curated connections, as well as being an amazing experience, uh, which is why I always go back to uh, Roots, as I, as I started talking about earlier. So the the Roots model in aviation is just it's just fantastic. They're all about connecting airlines and airports through structured meeting programs but it just so happens they do it in amazing destinations and and the destinations always pitch to have them them bring the event there so they really sort of roll out the red carpet and and they just make it just you know, a, an amazing experience that's also very valuable in terms of return on return on time for everyone interesting and what is it that the roots experience what is it in the roots experience that stands out for you well, I mean, it's it's quite it's quite an unusual one, I think, because their model is that the destinations will bid to have them attend. So Las Vegas will be will be pitching to have World Roots or Roots Americas turn up turn up with them, and so it's and usually it's a it's a big effort by the host city to get all of the world's. Uh, airline route planners to come to to experience their venue. So not not just the venue, the city, the whole destination. So they'll generally put on tours, um, really like amazing amazing evenings and food experiences. Um, but at the core of it, it's still this really really valuable one to one curated matchmaking. Okay, so yeah, it's definitely if you like the matchmaking is is the secret sauce in a way or. 
And does that have to be kind of active matchmaking or or can it be human matchmaking? Like, is there is there just a sort of intent of matchmaking? Is that what makes the difference? Or does it have to be a, a software solution in a way? Oh, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't need to be software. Obviously, technology technology helps. You know, technology helps to enable all of these sorts of things. But I think there's still with with matchmaking. I, I think there's still a role for human intelligence as well, and you know, a concierge element as well to to make sure it happens. I think I think technology will get there to a point where it could be completely could potentially be completely automated if you've got all of the the right signals and the, the the data to to inform that it's not it's not impossible i think to have something that's really good and completely automated um but but right now i think there's definitely still a uh, a large human element in in putting together you know really good program uh, having said that a lot of the bits around it of course sending out agendas and calendar invites and all of those sorts of things as you know, technology enables that makes it easier are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. Great. So let's jump into Life Science Networks. Congratulations, launching as co-founder. Tell us a little bit about the ethos behind this. What, why, why, why this company? What is it, and why now? Chris Kilby and I have been talking on and off for years, actually, about wanting to do something in in this space. So the the, the life science space, pharmaceuticals biotechnology is such a, a rich area for creating content, creating connections, creating events, communities. It's it's kind of got all of the good ingredients for an events business. It's incredibly complicated. Um, so there's a real need for content. It's highly regulated. It's a global industry with a huge diverse amount of suppliers. Uh, and there's and there's always and there's always a need for it. There's always a need to to bring people together to to do deals for education. So, pharma is is a is a really interesting space. It's one that Chris and I know well. Um, as as mentioned, we've we've worked on some really big shows in pharma and and as as well as running standalone projects for um, pharma companies like Vertex and others. So it's a, it's a great space. We know it. And the other, the other thing is that at the moment, we think from our research, we think there are all sorts of opportunities to do things differently. So the, the current events, which are in that space are, are great. And there's some huge and really successful events, but we, we think there are opportunities to start doing things a bit differently in a much more focused, targeted, and digital first way. Um, so we've been doing a lot of research over the last month or so, and we were investigating various different micro communities within, within the whole pharmaceutical sort of umbrella industry. And within that, we've identified you know, four or five different sort of like 
hot areas where we think a community approach would would really work well. So we we sort of we've been working we've been working on that. We've built an advisory board. We've got some great people involved from companies like uh, GSK, um, Roche, Pfizer, um, all of all of the sort of the top pharma companies. We've been getting input from them, which has really sort of helped sharpen up our thinking. Um, I mean, it's an industry which has been massively impacted by COVID, of course, not in the same way as the event space. In fact, kind of the opposite to the events industry. So during COVID, the pharma industry went, um, you know, had, had to had to very quickly do its own pivot, developing developing vaccines. Um, but it was also under a huge amount of pressure to actually deliver those drugs. So the supply chain, the global supply chain for pharma sort of shut down in, in many places, manufacturing ground to a halt as, as the world went into lockdowns. Um, and so while it's been a time of you know huge focus on the pharmaceutical industry, there have also been some some very real issues, which which are continuing now as, as, as the world goes into a global recession. There's um, lots of regulation coming down the pipeline, like the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, that's going to make a huge um, uh, huge challenges in terms of like the, the pricing and, and, and the costs of the industry. Uh, sustainability is absolutely massive for this industry. The pharma industry can can do a lot in terms of making the supply chain more sustainable. Um, and also coming out actually quite strongly from our research is the need for uh, a focus on diversity. And I think it's probably similar to most sort of STEM industries that um, the role of women is probably less than it should be. Uh, and also diversity in terms of supplier diversity as well. There's there's all sorts of very real pressures and challenges that the industry faces. Um, and our feeling is that that a community approach would be the best way to connect people year round. It's not to say that there's no role for events at all. Uh, it's abs- absolutely not that. As I said there's there's some really strong events in this space. At some point, we want to get to launching our own events in this space. But but we feel that starting off in, in a digital first way is is the right approach. Okay, so break it down for me. Um, yeah. Definitely understand life science, pharma industry. I think a lot of listeners will be involved or doing events in that industry as well. You're taking a community approach. Mm-hmm. What does that look like in practice? And I don't know how much of this is, is all worked out, but you know, what's the business plan, if you will, like people join a community, it's an online community, who pays, like how much are they paying? How does that work? Uh, Or what is your approach that you're taking? So our approach is that any community we launch, we want to be laser focused on a particular job title, a particular persona. And this is why it's different, I think, from you know, a larger event or or trade show model where you generally would just invite, you know, everyone in, everyone in that vertical, everyone in fintech come, comes to this this particular event. What we're doing is we're being entirely focused and all of our research is, is really drilling into what are the specific needs and challenges of a particular persona, particular particular job title. So that's the starting point. And exactly what those communities look like, the the, the balance of content, the balance of meetups and uh, communications and events around that will vary dependent on on 
what the needs are. So I think that's an important point is that all of the products we create are going to be entirely based on a particular job title's needs. Um, and then some of the things which I've mentioned about being very targeted in terms of the connections we make, matchmaking is going to be a really important part of this. Can you um, can you give us an example? So just take yeah. a job title example and kind of take us through how you would build that out or how you're planning to build that out. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So if you take one of the job titles we're researching at the moment is the procurement role. So procurement within the pharmaceutical industry, they are responsible for making sourcing and buying decisions across a whole different range of, of disciplines. So um, R&D, manufacturing, supply chain, packaging, all of those things has, has the procurement person at, at the centre of it. And so they've got all sorts of pressures and challenges on them around things like um, uh, how, how do you balance cost containment at this time of a global recession and inflation, cost containment versus the need to deliver quality products, for example. So, so from that, from the research, from that, from that particular job title, we, we spin out from that a whole, a whole different range of um, challenges, a whole different range of topics. And around each of those hot topics, we're sort of trying to build out what's the best way in a platform agnostic way, what's the best way for us to support them with finding answers to those questions. And so the sorts of things which are coming from the research are around peer-to-peer um, -peer, uh, sharing of sharing of best practices. So they want to, they want to hear from each other rather than uh, hear. I mean, there probably is a role for supplier education as well, but really we want we want to connect peer-to-peer, -peer, sharing their best practices, how how they're dealing with those challenges. That can be through um, sort of workshops, uh, virtual workshops. It could be through webinars. It can be through um, regular regular content, which which addresses addresses those needs. So there the, there are those sorts of those sorts of challenges. And then when you go to things like um, diversity and how and how do you support the role of women in in life sciences, then there's um, mentoring, which is which is a factor. Um, as well as doing, you know, various sort of other other initiatives around around empowerment, um, and then in amidst all of this, the 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 voice of the supplier is is and it, we which we we need to like regulate exactly what what that voice is because you don't want it to kill the community, but there definitely is a really important role of of how do you connect people with the right the right suppliers the right partners for, for a role like procurement that's actually a really important part of the role and so how can we make sure those they're the right curator so that they're the right suppliers um they've got the necessary approvals certification um sustainability and and esg standards there's all sorts of ways i think that through through an online community you can you can support these people in in their goals makes lots of sense and it sounds like you've, you've done a bunch of research which is which is always good and so what is your offering is it a platform and a community manager how does it work if people are kind of you know they, they like the idea of joining a community of peers what mm -hmm. do they do if they join you or if they buy into this sure yeah so 
the, the various communities which we launch, there'll be it's they won't need they won't need to pay to start with. So members, if they're if they're the right type of members, if they if they fit the profile, then it's 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 free for them to to use. Um, and then yeah, they they can join, they can get involved with the community groups, they can they can attend any of the the content sessions, the, the the match making events, and sort of get yeah get get involved with with everything. So it's going to be supplier funded. Uh, we felt that was an important point because we don't want to put up any any barriers to really um, engaging with this this and 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 the other audiences which we're currently investigating. Yeah, and do you have your own platform, the the online part of it, or how where do the communities exist in, in you know in in the online world? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not really. I don't think um, about the technology itself. So we're we're I think we're we're treating that in quite a sort of a, a tech agnostic sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly at this point where we're where we're I think to politely call it pre-revenue, um, we want to just sort of you know set up set up a a space using a combination of um, open source and readily available uh, SaaS technology. That's not to say we'd always sit on that. As as we go, we may say, well, there's a specific need here to buy and plug in a particular particular type of technology. But yeah. really, the the approach is is just is about trying to understand the customer needs and and provide them with the right the right kind of content and the right kind of experience before we go too much down the rabbit hole about about the tech because it. Yeah. But, Tech, tech can really help to enable some of those things, but we don't want to be reliant on it. I, I definitely appreciate the approach of community before events. I, I think that's mm. that's very important. And I always find going the other way around is challenging because you yeah. you may have people that attend your events, but do they feel like they're a community? You know, they can be part of many communities and community is, is a word that's thrown around a lot. But are you kind of developing a new form of professional association uh, that's very specific to job titles is that kind of where you're going i mean i suppose you could you could see it that way the, the, what we're so the way that we're describing it is as a, a next generation community and event business is is the way that we'd we'd position that mm-hmm. um and so yeah i get i guess it could do some of what an association's doing right now but we're sort of taking it and what what we mean by being a, a next generation approach is is really um putting the lean startup product development methodology um right at the center of it so digital first trying to understand customer needs and iterating based on that sort of at the center of it so whatever that turns into Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could, hopefully, I think we'd be able to move a lot faster and in a much more agile way than a traditional association. Uh, and, and also, like in, in terms of how we're actually structuring the company, the the way we're approaching sales and, and marketing, content development, we're trying to, out of necessity, we're trying to use as much automation, as many sort of AI-based tools as we can to enable us to do it. I mean, yeah. p- part of part of the reason that we're here now, I think, is that post-pandemic, there's been so much development, particularly in the AI space, with tools like ChatGPT and, and everything else that's coming out. I don't think there's a, ever been a better time than now to actually take a leap and to 
to launch something. Like you don't you don't need to have um, a database in order to do something like this. You just need to get really good at using LinkedIn and to be able to re to really use LinkedIn as effectively as possible. You could you can you can create your audience. You can use all of these automation and all of these AI tools to give you a head start. There's still there's still a, a real role for humans, of course, um, and that's and that's I think the intellectual challenge of this is finding the right formula of humans and 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 customer pain points and combining that with AI and other other tech that we can get hold of to see can can we do this basically initially. Um, from a very small team, um, but then, but hope, hopefully, scale. What what we don't want to be doing is buying, um, renting renting office space. You know, mm -hmm. we, there, I think there's real ways that you can be much more agile and, and disruptive by taking on all the advantages that's happened to society since since the pandemic. There is there isn't a better time, I don't think, than this to to be doing this kind of thing. Yep, and looking at the latest advances in uh, the AI, I think it'll it'll keep getting better, right? So it'll keep, keep yep. getting simplified. So one of the things that I think is always a challenge with with communities, and and I love the concept of community, but it is uh, it is challenging, right? It, it takes resources, it takes a lot of energy and and kind of resources mm -hmm. to to make it work. In terms of you know, you're looking for these communities with very specific job titles or very specific roles. And I, and I think that makes sense. And that's something that I think associations sometimes don't do as well because they try to cover you know, a wide range. Mm. Um, but then in terms of managing the content, in terms of managing that community, imagining the, managing the communication, how are you going to find, how are you going to get the right resources there to do that? You know, are you going to employ or have volunteers that are experts within that field to manage that? Or do you have those resources in house? Like, how do you, how do you get somebody who knows what they're talking about, at least at some minimal level, that can mm -hmm. actually be responsible for that, that small community or that kind of niche community? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's a, it's a, <laughs> a great question. So when I was at UBM, um, large part of my focus there was what we called the content excellence program. And so content excellence, and I, I was working across all of the different content teams that we had at, within UBM EMEA, and we were looking at how, yeah, how can you um, make sure that the, the content you're producing is as laser targeted, as helpful as possible for, for your target audience. And that doesn't have to be, um, traditional journalism. Now, I, I I really like traditional like journalism and, and the skills that come with journalism. I think they're incredibly um, powerful and can be applied in lots of lots of different ways. But there is a lot of news which is already out there, and so what we're absolutely not trying to set ourselves up is as a as a news organisation. That's not to say that we wouldn't employ editors or, or community managers further down the line, but there's there's already enough of it out there. So. What I think we need to do is to curate that, take this whole glut of stuff that's there, um, find find ways to, and, and there are lots of tools out there to help you to to do that, to sort of you know, find the most find the most relevant stuff to summarize it. So there's there's a there's a curation job, um, and that should 
I think if we're not if we're not focusing on news, that would free up more of our time to to do the the higher value, more interesting stuff. So um, taking time to do face to face interviews um, and really sort of like dive deep into what are what are the challenges how how did this person solve that that particular that particular challenge that's what we want to be spending our time on is on is on people yeah no i i hear you're definitely content focused right that 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 is definitely a big part of it mm-hmm. and tell me a little bit about the, the supplier side so you said supplier kind of supported right so the idea is that then suppliers are going to be part of the communities are they going to play a different role to the kind of specific members how do you see that shaping yeah it's something that we're still working through at the moment because we want to have the balance between it being a a safe space without supplier pitches and and people feeling like they can air air their issues um without interfering um so ideally you would sort of exclude suppliers from 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 that whole conversation but then in an industry like pharma well like many others it's a bit more of a blurred line about about which which company is is on the buy side which is on the supply side and and lots of people fall somewhere somewhere in between so it's it's something that we're going to have to i think monitor very carefully we have clear community guidelines about what can and can and can't happen um and creating creating sort of opportunities to do that sort of match purposeful matching between between the members and suppliers um, because look done well it's a real it's a real value add to be able to be sat in front of five really even innovative suppliers that actually could 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 drive your business forward that's that's a good thing and we want to be able to set that up but we just don't want it to be you know spam basically so it's so we're just trying to sort of, you know work work our way through that it's it's a it's an ongoing it's an ongoing challenge so when, when i was when i was um a few years ago i launched a, a data science um event called DataX, and one of the the things that we learned very quickly there as we were as we were surveying the audience and lots of lots of in, interviews and focus groups was that the biggest brands in data science, the people that they really wanted to hear from would be whoever's leading AI at companies like IBM and Microsoft, for example, who are also the suppliers. So it's not it's not unusual, I don't think, for this for this particular industry. A lot of the time, the best the best suppliers are also can also be the people that want um, that the community wants to hear from it's just how do you how do you balance the the thought leadership versus the the commercial side of the conversation i think that yeah there's a lot of a lot of different nuances there that i think are need to be explored in more detail so talk to me about sort of the long-term vision what would you see as kind of really successful um if you you know let's say five years time something like that What, what do you what's your vision there it's still early days. I mean, this is the first. The first <laughs> this is the first interview we've done about it. The first time we've we've spoken to anyone actually outside outside of ourselves about what we're what we're working on. Um, I, I guess what what good would look like for us would be establishing a number of communities of, of yeah, di- different sizes with with an engaged user base. So we've kind of you know, mapped out the whole pharma supply chain. Um, 
from R&D all the way through to market access and how do they engage with regulators and digital engagement, digital marketing, which is which is really unique in pharma. There's all, there's all sorts of areas which we want to investigate further. So I think we'd, we'd, we'd ideally we'd like to have a number of these communities in play, each, each addressing a specific need. That's kind of our vision for life science networks. And then from that, we then spin off various events. So hopefully 2024, we're going to launch our first in-person event um and um yeah and, and and that would that would include the similar kind of mix of matchmaking and and thought leadership in an in an in-person environment and do you see this as a trade show kind of event or more of a conference or i guess the community will tell you the community will tell us and and, and experience is the most important thing so we we absolutely won't be um booking excel initially uh much much as much as i think excel is a great venue we want to we want to start in um i, I don't know you know s- smaller more bespoke venues i think initially and try try to create some try to create experiences that are that are genuinely different i mean i, d- I don't think it takes much more budget in fact it probably takes less less budget but just a bit more creativity to try to create sort of unique unique moments that makes sense. So what if one of these pharma companies that you, you're probably speaking to and, and would be interested in enjoying the product, what if they say, hey, uh, sounds like you guys have done a bunch of really interesting research. Uh, we have our own internal tool that people don't use. You know, the community is not working. Why don't you come and be our advisor? Why don't you sell us your company, your research and, and be part of this? Is that something that you would look positively on or, or are you kind of very much about the independent community kind of approach? Um, I mean, it's, it's not something that's, it's not something that's part of our roadmap right now, but it's something which, so going, going back to UBA, um, one of the initiatives which, which was happening there at the time was this, this project called DSM and the DSM project was all about creating communities with a, with a different a different sort of approach. Our approach is quite different, but the idea there was to create communities for brands. And so we launched communities like um, Big Data Republic, for example. We launched that with um, IBM, and you sort of go to the different different technology companies. And we we had a, a Future Cities title, which which was sponsored i think by schneider electric um so yeah it's it's not it's not impossible i mean this this community approach can be once once you've got the methodology locked down it's definitely scalable um and and, yeah and it would be scalable outside of life sciences but that's but that's where we're that's where we're focused we want to get sort of deep into into this industry because we think there's there's so much potential here but yeah yeah who, who knows? Wouldn't, wouldn't be adverse to doing projects like that. Never say never, right? Exactly. And if and if you've got if you've got anyone interested, Miguel, send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to zoom out a little bit from from uh, the company and and what you're doing, and just get your thoughts on where the events industry is going, where business events is going in general. I mean, it sounds like you have a an idea around the type of events that you would like to do in the future, which mm-hmm. is you mentioned experiences. What what does that look like for you, or what do you see 
like a really strong model for business events that maybe we're we're heading towards events with strong meeting programs are um i think really important so one of one of the events that we've been working on in my time at expo platform was uh Gitex, for example so, so Gitex, big tech show in um in dubai world trade center that's uh a, you know a, a really strong event they they it's sort of it's one of those sort of like rock star sort of um uh pillar brands where where they'll they'll bring people from all across all across the region to, to one great big event where they showcase all sorts of innovation but then they also have it's like a startup investor program which is which is taking part alongside it i think i think you know i think Gitex is a good a good example of how something could scale i mean it's a, it's a very very large event um money 2020 i always think is a, is a really cool example of of, of how they've um, they're sort of you know, engaging the whole fintech industry, creating great experiences. I really like I really like IMEX as well. Uh, I've just, just generally, I just like IMEX in terms of how they they sort of like bring people together and have various different um, bring in different content partners and have different experiences running alongside the main the main event. Um, yeah, I think I think the, the, those to, to me feel like good examples. But I but yeah, I don't I don't want to necessarily sort of write what we're going to be doing in 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 the next sort of like three to five years. We want to really be led there by by the community and what feels right at the time. Within those examples, what is it that makes those events great? Is it <laughs> is it the, is it the bringing together of different types of people? I mean, you mentioned Money Twenty Twenty. I also have a you know very positive impression of Money Twenty Twenty. I've never been. But what do you what do you see as being kind of really innovative about Money Twenty Twenty, or kind of what are they doing that you think is is really worth kind of other people learning from? I really like actually um, shows like Brighton SEO by Kelvin. Mm -hmm. um, I, I yeah, I think that's that's a great example of someone who's just gone out something that he's passionate about, and he's created this sort of groundswell of of community, um, lots of lots of really good sessions but it but it's got it's got a good solid heart to it i think um most of most of the brands most most of the big events that you that you think of they they had an interesting uh origin story at some point where the founders went out they identified they identified a need and through their passion and their dedication they they created they created something and they brought together a community around it and created something that's really valuable. Um, it's easy, I think, for that sort of origin story um, to get lost over time, particularly when there are companies who've sort of acquired it and then acquired it again. I think the new teams often sort of, you know, over, over the years, that original original purpose gets lost. So I think any, any event has a very clear purpose and a reason for being there. And I want my own origin story. I like it. I like it. Origin story. Maybe that's the title of the podcast. I think that that makes a lot yeah. of sense. <laughs> um, so I want to wrap up with the final question uh, that we ask everybody, which is please suggest a guest that we should have on the podcast so we can continue to have these great conversations. Someone that you know and respect and you think would be relevant to our audience. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the the first person that springs to mind when you say that is um, Robin Duda. Um, so Rob, Robin's great. Uh, we work together, and and with Chris actually, we we all work together at UBM. UBM, by the way, was just a great place for meeting really smart, fun people who who cared about the experience, cared about customer, and and Robin is absolutely one of those one of those people so she's she's very focused on experience um she's worked with apart from doing like business events she's also worked with the likes of spotify and coke and um yeah yeah she's she's always someone i'd go to for a bit of inspiration okay great thank you for the uh, suggestion and then we'll uh, we'll be in touch robin if you're listening we, we'd love to have you on the <laughs> podcast so uh do join us or to get in touch. Um, look, it's been a pleasure. I wish you lots of luck. Thank you for uh, previewing or being the first uh, to be on, on uh, the first time that you're speaking about your new company with us. So I uh, wish you lots of luck with that. And uh, we'll be following that very carefully and uh, looking forward to your advice on community building as, as you go through the process. It sounds like there's a, a big challenge ahead, but also lots of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So wish you lots of luck for that. Fantastic. So thanks so much for your opportunity, Miguel. Appreciate it.